0: Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the MMA podcast with Sean Zagi. This is Monday, July 9th, and we have a lot going on in the world of MMA. UFC 226, it was just this past weekend. We have a lot to cover there, but we're going to rewind it back a week or so since we weren't on the previous week. Uh, there has been a lot going on. Uh, Loyola Michita is no longer with the ufc uh he fought last versus uh vitor belfort he won via front kick to the face and approximately a week later he announced that he is signing with bellator and it sounds like before the fight with uh vitor he already had a deal with scott Croker to move to bellator and it sounds like the ufc went ahead and matched his new salary and his new contract. But since he gave his word to Scott Croker, he decided to go over there. You know, and I'm not surprised. uh, Bellator, even though they're doing a lot of things correctly, they're turning into the retirement home of the UFC. Seems like all the people that, you know, for the exception of Musasi and uh, Rory McDonald, most of the fighters that are going there are people that really don't have much of a future left. Uh, in the UFC even though Loda Machida won his last fight uh, he hasn't been doing too good and he's not much of a draw like he used to be but let's see how the future plays out for, for him in uh, Bellator another fighter that announced his retirement earlier last week was Johnny Hendricks Johnny Hendricks which is a former NCAA champion and uh, you know one of the greatest of all time was pretty much on a losing streak uh, the past few years. Uh, he's famously known to with it, for his fight with GSP. A lot of people, including myself, thought that he won that fight and that he got cheated out of the decision and uh, and he got cheated out of the belt. But later on, after GSP uh, retired, he went ahead and he fought Robbie Lawler and he won the UFC welterweight championship. You know, it's uh it's sad to see him go, but with this. In this fight, in this fighting career, in this sport, rarely do you go out on top. So the fact that he recognized it was all over and he needs to hang it up is pretty respectable. And uh, I think he's going back to uh, coaching some high school or college team back in his hometown. And you know, we wish him, you know, the greatest of luck. Uh, I'm glad that he retired and didn't decide to go go on to Bellator or keep fighting. Dana White famously said, "Once a fighter says I'm done, he's done." And uh, he went on the Ariel Helwani show, and he expressed the fact that he's done and he no longer has the desire to fight. So, you know what a wonderful career he had, and uh, he should definitely be proud of all his achievements. With that, we move on to uh, Josh Barnett. Uh, Josh Barnett. Uh, one of the most decorated heavyweights in UFC history, and also the first fighter to go against USADA and win. Uh, he got flagged for for something in a supplement that he was taking. And until today, nobody has been able to win any sort of appeal against USADA. But he went ahead and he fought it, you know, and it took him quite a while. I believe it took him... Uh, over a year or two, and, you know, that's a long time in in the fighting world. A year or two, uh, you know, translates into maybe 10 years of a regular career. And when he was done Uh, with his battle in USADA and was cleared, he decided that, you know what, I don't want to fight in an organization that's overran or oversaw by uh, USADA. Where he's going next, it's unclear if he's going to fight in the PFL, if he's going to go to Bellator. Uh, one of the biggest super fights that everybody wanted to see that never happened was uh, was Barnett versus Fedor. So maybe he could uh, go to Bellator and we could see that super fight. But nevertheless, he was uh, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. And something tells me that he's not done. Uh, he still has a few... Uh, few years left in him and I think Bellator would be a great fit for him and maybe we could uh, see that super fight. Which brings me back to Sada. You know the Fertittas and Dana White brought in Usada to create more transparency in the sport to separate the UFC from backyard wrestling from things you see on YouTube and for the most part it's ended up hurting them more than it has benefited them. You know, I can't even count how many fights have been canceled due to fighters being flagged um, for USADA violation. Uh, No fighter obviously likes to be followed by them. If you leave the state, if you leave the country, you need to notify them. They show up at your house for random drug tests. And ever since USADA has came in, I don't see anything good that's happened for the sport other than a lot of people have... Considered it a more legitimate sport because the fighters are getting tested, but I know their contract with Usada is going to be up in the next year or so, and I'm curious to see what they're going to do next. You know, the UFC was sold for four billion dollars. They just closed a big deal with ESPN. Uh, maybe at this point, it's a good time to you know ditch Usada and transfer over to maybe a more in-house style of of drug testing. Um, I'm not a really big fan of Asada, and I think uh, either are any of the fighters that are on the roster. So during last week, it was International Fight Week, which usually has a pretty stacked UFC card. And on top of that, there's a Hall of Fame introductory. This year, uh, a lot of people were inducted to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Bruce Connell. He was a longtime producer of the UFC. When you watch the UFC, the intro where, the, where, where Joe Rogan and John Annick are standing, and the transitions and the B roll, everything that makes the UFC the UFC, as far as television goes, he was in control of. He was the, the voice in the earpiece, the, uh, directing the commentators and he uh, sadly passed away last year due to some uh, health issues, so they paid a pretty nice tribute to him and he was inducted to the UFC uh, Hall of Fame. Also UFC co-creator Art Davey, uh, he was he was inducted to the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, he a long time ago came up with a concept that later on turned into the UFC and You know, it's really important to acknowledge him because if you enjoy the UFC, if you enjoy Bellator, if you enjoy any sort of mixed martial arts, he was the founder, or at least a co-founder of the sport. And uh, it was really nice to see him being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Another inductee to the Hall of Fame was uh, Matt Serra. Matt Serra has had a very long and successful career in the UFC. His most memorable fight, of course, was when he knocked out GSP. You know, a lot of people like to say, you know, John Jones is undefeated. George St. Pierre is undefeated. The fact is that they're not undefeated. Both of them have lost. John Jones lost to Matt Hamill in a disqualification. Uh, You know, disqualification is a disqualification. You can't claim to be undefeated if you lost a fight. And GSP got knocked out by Matt Serra. A lot of people call it a a lucky punch. A lot of people call it a fluke. But hey, this is the sport and these are the rules. If you are disqualified or if you get knocked out, it's the same. It's a loss and it goes on your record. And he was inducted to the Hall of Fame this week. And uh, his longtime coach and partner, Ray Longo, gave the introductory speech. And uh, it was really fun. He actually was in the news. uh, Matt Sarah. that is. He was in the news prior to the introduction to the Hall of Fame. He was eating at a restaurant in Las Vegas and there was this drunk man making threats and starting fights with people. So he took control, put him on the floor, sat on him and held down his hands until security came and it was all over the news and all over uh, social media. Uh, It's fair to say he had a pretty fun weekend altogether. The highlight of the Hall of Fame was Ronda Rousey. She was inducted to the Hall of Fame. You know, there's, uh, there's two sides of the story. If you listen to the... Uh, Ariel Helwani and the Bad Guy podcast, which is actually not a podcast, it's a show with Ariel Helwani and Chelsea, and they had conflicting uh, opinions about this. Ariel Helwani said, You know, it's too soon to have her inducted into the Hall of Fame. She left the sport in bad terms. Uh, she refused to make any appearances... And she actually refused to talk about her loss to Amanda Nunes or her, her loss to Holly Holm. And she kind of li- left it with a bitter, you know, bitter state, bitter taste in her mouth. We didn't see her do any sort of publicity work. We didn't see her in the stands during any other UFC event. She pretty much disappeared. And for her to be inducted this soon it really doesn't make sense and it shouldn't have happened. And uh, Chael, Chael's uh, point of view was that, you know, she was, she's a trailblazer. She was the first uh, bantamweight women's champion, although she was the first champion in the UFC. Uh, even though she was given the belt when she arrived, uh, she still deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, I think both of them are correct, but it was definitely a little too soon. I believe that her last fight with Amanda Nunez was, uh, I don't know, I want to say two years ago. I may be wrong, but closer to two years ago. And yeah, for the fact that she left you know, in a bitter state and she went to the WWE, she didn't really want to look back or think about the UFC. And to be honest, I was shocked that she actually showed up to accept her award. Based on the way she was acting and the way she didn't want to be associated with the sport anymore, I was under the impression that she would definitely not show up to the Hall of Fame. But she did. Her speech was kind of weird, but nevertheless, she is in the Hall of Fame. And let's just uh, be clear. What is the UFC Hall of Fame? It's literally a hall at the UFC headquarters with some plaques on it. It's not like the Baseball Hall of Fame where you go and you see there's a museum or the NBA Hall of Fame where you get to go visit a place and uh, it's open to the public and you could read about these fighters. It's more of a recognition. And uh, if she deserved it, or if it was early, or if it was too late, you know, that's something that's up for debate. But anyways, it happened. She was inducted. She seemed very happy. And uh, we're going to move on. UFC 226. All right. International Fight Week. It seems that International Fight Week has been cursed. Uh, Last International Fight Week last year, Amanda Nunes had to pull out of the fight. The previous years, John Jones had to get pulled out, and Conor McGregor had to get pulled out. It seems that every year in the month of July, when they do have the International Fight Week, they do have a stacked card, and something ends up happening. And, being true to tradition, the same thing happened this year. Uh, The co-main event was Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega. Just a few days before the show there was reports that Max Holloway had to withdraw due to concussion-like symptoms. And if you guys all remember, there was a fight between him and Khabib not too long ago, and he had to withdraw for kind of the similar reasons. Uh, With that said, they tried finding a replacement for Brian Ortega, Jeremy Stevens, but he declined. And, you know, he has every right to decline. This is not a dog and pony show. This is the UFC, and this is Ultimate Fighting. And Brian Ortega is a big prospect in the division. He is a future star, if not already. I remember when I saw him live and he fought uh, Clay Guida. Clay Guida was winning. Towards the end, he knocks him out. And I told myself, man, this guy is something special. He's been been undefeated until now. And uh, he actually deserves to fight for the title. He doesn't deserve to come in last minute and fight a replacement just because Max Holloway has withdrawn. And uh, w- what's going on with Max Holloway? You know, we don't know, but there's a big underlining problem with him. I don't know if it has to do with the weight cut or if he has some sort of serious underlining disease, but uh, Dana Weiss said it's going to be a long time before he fights. We need to figure out what's wrong with him. And I agree, uh, you know, God forbid if he has some sort of tumor or something more serious going on, but... This is the second fight he had to pull out of back to back. The first one had to do some with his weight cutting. This time, uh, we're not so sure what it has to do, to do with. He's not making any public comments. He declined to go on a few uh, MMA podcasts. And, you know, he's, he's something special. He beat Jose Aldo twice, knocked him out twice. Um, you know, I hope everything goes okay with him because we would like to see him back, you know, fighting as soon as possible and uh him versus Brian Ortega is a fight that you know we will see later on and who knows if we find out that he's going to be out for a very long time Dana White might have an interim belt and have I don't know Brian Ortega fight someone else for the interim title maybe Jeremy Stevens he would make sense he would he would be next in line or if there's something serious going on with Max and he will be out indefinitely maybe he will get stripped altogether but you know, let's stay positive and hopefully uh, Max will be back soon to defend his belt. Even with the Holloway-Ortega fight being cancelled, it was still a pretty stacked card. We had a lot of good fights. Uh, let's start off with Acosta versus Uriah Hall. You know, Roya, uh, U- Uriah Hall has that killer spinning back kick, but Acosta, he looks like a a wider version of Tyrone Woodley. This guy is shredded, and he's very talented too. There was a few moments in the fight where he did go ahead and uh, hit Uriah Hall with a low blow. I think it was two times where they actually had to take time out, and uh, maybe an actual eye poke as well. Uh, he ended up knocking out Uriah Hall, but I know it was a very frustrating fight for Uriah because, like I said, he did get a kicked in the balls twice and it seemed to be pretty bad they had to take a few minutes out and uh, nevertheless he did end up losing the fight uh, Last time we saw Costa fight wasn't wasn't until like a very long time ago and hopefully he will be fighting sooner than later. moving forward uh, this for me this could have been uh, the fight of the night Perry versus Felder man. Man, that was a dog fight. That was a dog fight. These guys went at it like fucking dogs. There was blood all over the octagon, and it was a great fight. It was a great fight. There was times where I thought Felder had the upper hand, but uh, Perry was ended up dominating a few rounds. He ended up winning uh, via decision and man. I got to say, for me, that could have been fight of the night. It really could have been fight of the night. Moving forward, Michael Chiesa versus Anthony Showtime Pettis. Anthony Showtime Pettis brought the best version of himself to that fight last night. Or Saturday, as I should say. We all remember Anthony Pettis before his losing streak. The one that was on the cover of the Wheaties, Serial... The one that was world famous, the one that had that famous finish when he kicked Benson Henderson in the face, which is still one of the biggest highlight reels in uh, UFC history. Man, he really brought it against the tough Michael Chiesa. Uh, We all knew that Michael Chiesa suffered a broken foot not too long ago, a few weeks prior to the fight, and he had a very tough weight cut he even mentioned that this is the last time he's going to fight in this weight class he actually did go ahead and miss weight again and he had to give up his uh, uh, 40% of his purse to Anthony Pettis but Anthony Pettis put on a show and he put on a great show and he ended up submitting Michael Chiesa beautifully, beautifully using top notch jiu-jitsu um and ultimately, he won with the armbar. He was kind of upset that he, was, uh, f- that he was the first one to fight on the main card. But, you know, with this fight, he's definitely moving up in the rankings. And the next time we see him, he's probably not going to be the opener of the show. Moving on to the co-main event, the heavyweight division. Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. You know, this has been this was probably the biggest surprise of the night and it wasn't in a good way. Yeah. This fight went down as one of the most, if not the most, uh, if not, sorry, one of the most boring UFC fights to date. Uh, both of these heavyweights were expected to finish one or the other within the first round. Uh, Francis Zingano, uh, was famously the one that knocked out Alistair Overeem last year which he ended up winning an award for the best knockout of the year and uh, he was given a title shot immediately versus Stepe Miocic and uh, he was a favorite to win they were promoting him like hell he was on you know he, on the posters and on the on any sort of publications for the fight they had him as the giant giant you know David versus Goliath uh and Stipe you know, outfought him and won. He wasn't able to knock out Stipe. Uh, and Stipe outwrestled him, outfought him. Uh, his cardio outlasted him. And he gassed in the second, third, fourth round. And Stipe won via decision. So after that, something changed after that fight. We did not see the Francis that we saw versus Overeem. We did not see the Francis that we saw in 2017. We saw a very scared, a very timid Francis. Uh, and not to give Derek Lewis any credit, he was the same. Both of them were, were dancing around, and I believe after th- uh, three rounds, Francis only landed like 11 shots. Uh, Derek Lewis landed not too many more. The fans were booing. You know, I was there when... When Tyron Woodley faced da- Damian Maia. it was just as, if not as, boring of a fight. Uh, you know, usually the commentators are trying to make the best of the situation and not calling it a boring fight. Uh, you know, trying to keep you know the people that paid 50, 60 bucks to watch this fight, you know, keeping them in their chair. Even they couldn't uh, support this anymore. They, everybody said this was one of the worst fights they've ever seen in my life. And, you know, I agree with them. And I was shocked. Both of these guys were afraid to fight each other. Francis was af- afraid to fight. Derek Lewis was afraid to fight. And uh, after the fight, Derek Lewis said that he doesn't deserve a title fight. He did end up winning via decision because he did land a few, few shots here and there. And he did attempt to take down. But... He said publicly, like, Yeah, I had a terrible performance, I don't deserve a title shot. <clears throat> and then, uh, Francis came out and he pretty much said, in more words or less, that, Yeah, after the Stipe fight, he's afraid, he's afraid <laughs> to fight, he has demons, as he should be. You know, uh, they put him up in a pedestal just because he, he beat over him in a very vicious fashion, and then when He couldn't beat Stipe, and he gassed out. People wanted to give him another chance. Maybe he needs more time. Joe Rogan says he needs to see a sports psychologist, not a coach. I fully agree with him. But the Francis we saw last year that was knocking people out back and forth is unfortunately dead. Will he ever come back? We don't know. We don't know. But... All I know is no one's going to be excited to watch these guys fight anytime soon. Moving on to the heavyweight super fight, which was the headliner on this UFC 226. My personal favorite fighter of all time, Stipe Miocic, defended his heavyweight title versus the sitting light heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier. Everybody that I knew and most of the people online even the odd makers didn't really give Cormier a chance everybody thought Stipe was going to go ahead and knock him out if not in the first round in the second round and most people including myself said that if Cormier was going to win it was going to be via decision uh, in, in the fifth round and Cormier shocked the whole world he ended up knocking out Stipe in the very first round and, uh, you know, it was due to a mistake that Stipe has done in the past. Uh, whenever he got in the clinch uh, with Daniel Cormier, he had, he had his hands down, leaving his chin vulnerable and his, his hands down so he couldn't defend. And if anybody remembers, that's how he lost against Steven Schrute. Uh So within, in the beginning of the fight, Stipe was doing great. He was winning the fight he had great octagon control Cormier hit him with a great few shots in his face you you know you could see his face and his eyes and his nose cut up uh, off the bat there wasn't so much blood per se but you could see the bruising from the television and in the very first round they clinched and again he had his hands down Cormier got him hit him as hard as he could Uh, in fact broke his hand during that process we found out later Steve hit the floor he hit on one, two, three. The referee stops, and that was it. Uh, Daniel Cormier is the new heavyweight champion. And uh, before we go to what happens in the post fight, this is really important for me to uh, share with you guys. Daniel Cormier has always lived in someone else's shadow. He's a former NCAA champion and former Olympian. Uh, but so was Kale Sanderson. Kale Sanderson was the best wrestler of all time he just happened to fight at the same time during Daniel Cormier so although Daniel Cormier went ahead and won some titles in the NCAA and he moved on to the Olympics he he was always compared to Kale so he always lived in, in his shadow the same thing happened when he came to the UFC when he came to the UFC he was always compared to John Jones, and he was, o- and he always lived in the shadow of John Jones. Uh, they famously had their two fights where John uh, ended up beating him the second time he got knocked out by John. It was exactly a year ago to this date. He was at, uh, I was actually in attendance for this fight. John Jones knocked him out. Daniel Cormier was crying and said that, you know, I guess he is the better man. There's no need for a re- for a third match. I already lost twice to him, and lo and behold, a year to, the, to date, almost exactly, not only is he the light heavyweight champion, but he's also the heavyweight champion of the world. Before the fight, Brock Lesnar came out and sat, uh, sat ringside, uh, and everybody knew what was going to happen afterwards. The, the winner of Stipe versus Cormier was going to challenge Brock Lesnar. And that's what's going to happen next. So as soon as, as, soon as uh, Daniel won, he celebrated for maybe a minute. Then he took the mic and he called out Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar came in, shoved him, called Miocic a piece of shit, called Cormier a piece of shit, called uh, Francis a piece of shit. And uh, they set the stage for a big fight. But Daniel Cormier has a broken hand, he's going to be out for a while, and Brock Lesnar did join the Sada pool for testing in order to be able to fight again, and he's probably not going to get cleared until next year. Cormier famously said, if he wins this fight or if he loses this fight, he only has two more fights left, and he plans on retiring early next year. So what does that say? That says that even if they fight next year and Cormier wins, he's probably just going to retire Soon afterwards, and vacate the heavyweight title. Or it says if Brock Lesnar wins, his next fight is going to be Stipe versus Brock Lesnar because obviously he was still the number one contender. He, he held the record for most wins, most heavyweight defenses in UFC history. And I was kind of heartbroken when I saw him get knocked out. I, I really wanted Stipe to win, and I really thought he was going to win. But, you know, that's how the sport goes. And uh, I, I'm, I'm happy for Daniel Cormier. You know, for once, he, he shut everybody up. And he won fair and square. There's no, there's no debate whether, you know, there was any cheating or if one you know, person was on steroids or this and that. He won fair and square. And, uh, you know, let's see what's next. All right, guys. I would like to thank you a lot for listening to Episode 3. Hopefully we'll be back next week with more MMA news. Thank you so much.